0: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I am Derek Johnson. I am back. Who? With me is I mean, maybe you forgot. I did forget. Uh, oh, thank please. you to Nick for doing an excellent job Ooh. in my absence. My beautiful baby daughter has been born. And yes, I am lacking in sleep. Yes, I am changing many poopy diapers. Uh, but yes, I'm also very rewarded. Have you gotten good at changing diapers? Yet? I have. I've, I've actually I, I can do them very quickly okay. and efficiently. Pretty at this quick point. now? Yes. Was the, there a bit of a learning curve involved? Yeah, for sure. I mean, okay. I had never changed a diaper before, right? You didn't I, practice at all. No, Dude, never practiced. Huh, Talk
1: about sports for a living, and you didn't even consider practice makes perfect. Why no. do you think they guys practice for games? No, I'm, more of, a, for game I'm more of a
0: game time performer. Oh come on, you know, I'm like uh, Todd Reese Never practiced well, but boy, game days. I'm the Todd Reesing <laughs> of diaper changes. That's, call me that. Maybe. A, I don't know if I want that to be my title. Anyway, uh, thank you again to you, man. Uh, Great job over the last couple weeks without me here and having to hold down the fort and everything. So thank you to Nick, and and thank you guys. As as you know, Nick did a great job here. Um, I am doing well. I thought for a second I was almost not going to be able to come in for today's show because as I was home for lunch today, I slipped on a giant patch of ice in my driveway, and uh, I heard a pop in my shoulder. So that's feeling great right now, but we're going to make it through today. We're going to make it through today. Yep. And the pre-game injury report listed you as questionable. It did. You made it though, but you know, I, I had to come back. But what do you to, need your shoulder for? To, yeah, exactly. To talk I'm microphone. talking, right? I, yeah. I can make it through a couple hours before before going to the doctor. I uh, I don't know. Maybe that would have just been a good excuse to not have to talk about KU West Virginia because that stunk. It was it was annoying for sure. It, it was annoying. It was you frustrating. Know, it, it's one of those things. It's always funny to me. You as a fan. We'll watch a game, sure. whatever team you're rooting for, and your team could lose, and they lose because whatever your team is, right? You could be watching an NBA game, an NFL game, Chiefs, whatever. They lose a game because they make self-inflicted mistakes, and your immediate response is, that sucked, that was so annoying, Yeah, I w- because they just beat themselves. They, like, at least sure. let the other team beat you. And if they beat you, you just tip your cap to them. Yet when it happens... When the other team beats you... It's horrible. ...where they just you weren't going to beat them, it is also just as frustrating because it's it's like, well, there's nothing we can do today. And why does this team not play like this when they play other teams? So, I I guess the uh, end of the story there is that no matter what, if you lose, you're just going to be frustrated and unhappy. There is no one best way to, I guess, lose the game uh, from that standpoint. I I do think that there's a couple different buckets you can view this game into. West Virginia shot an insane clip. Coming into the game, they were shooting 30% from three. They were one of the worst teams in the conference and in the country from three. Yeah, bottom in the country, they came in shooting 28% on mid range shots. They were not good in the mid range either. How many mid range shots did they hit? Yeah, How many contested mid range shots did they hit? Raekwon battle with some Making ridiculous everything. rainbow, yes. like 20 feet in the air <laughs> shots that just nothing but nylon every yes. time. Doesn't make any sense. They hit a bunch of threes. They hit, you know, uh, yes, there were some threes that KU left too open, but they hit a lot of ones that were relatively well or very yes. well contested. And KU's offense was good. This was one of KU's better offensive games, which I think continues to be a, mm. I guess, positive arrow pointed up about what the has looked like ever since Furphy's been the starting lineup. But sure. when you miss a few key opportunities, whether it is a few of extra, hey, we left them wide open, or um, missing a few key rebound opportunities, especially at the end of the game, boom, you wind up with a loss in Morgantown. Yet another one. I believe Bill Self is now five and seven in Morgantown. Yeah, pretty I think crazy. He might be
1: four and seven.
0: Is it four and seven? I think he's four, maybe. I mean, he's five, either I think
1: he's at the 4-6 or 5-6. Yeah,
0: and uh, you look at some of the losses. I mean, uh, the last two I want to say that they've had in Morgantown have been to bad West Virginia teams. This is not a good West Virginia team. The one they lost to in 2018-19, which would have been, I think, January of 2019, was not a good West Virginia team. And so that's that's where this comes into, the the two buckets for me. There's the one bucket of, I think most teams would have lost to West Virginia on Saturday. Playing in Morgantown the way they played, Like, the only team that I I feel like maybe wins that game is, like, and and maybe it wouldn't have mattered, is, like, Houston, because Houston is, like, number one at everything on defense, where I just feel like they would have found a way to make West Virginia uncomfortable and slow them down. But then again, Houston doesn't have a great offense. So if West Virginia did that, maybe West Virginia is beating anybody in the Big 12 on on the way they played Saturday. And from that standpoint, it's not a bad loss. If you played a team who was going to beat anybody, okay, there's nothing you can do. Then again, West Virginia is a bad team. And so I was I was looking they're, at this. They're a bad team, but not they, not, they do have more talent than the record. Talent. Yeah, they're not untowned. But they also didn't have Jesse Edwards, right? No, I know. So it wasn't like they were fully complete yeah. for the first time. Sure. And I was looking back, if you look at Ken Palm in the Bill Self era, so back to 2003 4 this was, if you just go by the finish of the Ken Palm rank of the opponent, we have to wait to see where West Virginia finishes. But right now, this would be a top five loss in the Bill Self era. And then on top of that. You look at what KU is doing in in losing some of these games, whether it's the games they played closer than they should to opponents or the games that they have lost to opponents. From that standpoint, it is a really bad loss. And from the standpoint of trying to win a Big 12 where there's so many good teams and there's so much competition and you have so many more difficult games coming, including this Saturday at Iowa State, including the final 10 games when you play Houston twice and you play Baylor twice and you play Kansas State twice who's off to a good start in Big 12 play. That's what makes this loss bad and puts you in a very uncomfortable position if you do want to win the Big 12.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, we've talked about it. KU's final 10 games in conference, to your point, are very difficult. And I think you and I both felt... Kansas needed to probably start eight and one or nine and0 oh in conference play to maybe give themselves that cushion to where they could possibly stumble down the stretch and it wouldn't be to the point where they wouldn't win the big 12. Well, that obviously hasn't happened, right? You've now got two losses in conference and this is supposed to be the the quote unquote the easier part of your conference mm-hmm. schedule basically when you start to look towards February. Uh, so yeah, it's very, very frustrating from that point from that standpoint. And there's really two two lines of thought that I think you can take and you were kind of touching on a little bit is, on one hand, it's, well, you played a bad team, but because you're Kansas, they showed up, they had a big home crowd, they were fired up, they played their best game, they played an A-plus game, you were going to lose, and whatever. Or you could say, or you could look at it and say, well, there's some real legitimate issues with this Kansas team that are that showed, basically. Sure. And the truth, as always, with, these types of, with this type of stuff, is somewhere in the middle, right, like West Virginia objectively played a very, very good game, their best game of the season probably by far. They got some great individual efforts from guys like Raekwon Battle. Pat Sumnick, who I think was averaging, what, five points per game yes. this season, uh, had not been really that much of a threat to score much. He was in that He scores around. 20, which was a career high for him, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then Kirk Carissa, who's who had been a good three-point shooter coming in, but had not necessarily been a volume scorer. He, he does really, really well, right? Then you factor in the fact that late in the game, West Virginia basically makes every free throw they need to make. And the ones they missed, they got the offensive rebound on. Yeah. So it was just a train wreck to end the game for Kansas. Uh, so it's that, that's very, very frustrating, right? But there were some things that, that you can come away from that game for Kansas say the, there's still areas to improve in, right? Most notably that the rebounding. I talked about it on Friday while you were gone, but West Virginia, without Jesse Edwards, terrible, terrible in rebounding over the last five games. In fact, they were out, they were out-rebounded by 14 against Oklahoma in their loss, right? That should have been a huge, huge advantage for Kansas. And instead of it, it wasn't even that it was not an advantage for Kansas. It ended up being an advantage for West Virginia. They out-rebounded Kansas. And that just that just can't happen. They're missing their star center. You have Hunter Dickinson. You have K.J. Adams. You have Johnny Furphy, who you mentioned is has proven to be a, a good rebounder. I think that's part of the reason why he's playing, actually, over Marco Jackson, is that he's shown that he can do that. And yet, in this game against West Virginia that that not only is it not an advantage for Kansas it ends up being a disadvantage and it's part of the reason why Kansas ultimately loses loses the game late because West Virginia gets some offensive rebounds that's very frustrating right Kansas was held to a season low in rebounding in this game against West Virginia and that's that's really really tough to stomach when you consider the context of again they're without their their star big man they've been getting out-rebounded badly when he's been out of the when he's been not playing and it doesn't happen in this game right for for Kansas instead it goes the other way that, that's a really, really big negative. Johnny Furphy, uh, you mentioned, in the first half, fantastic, right? Hits three more threes in the first half, looking great. But listen, when you play freshman, whether it's Johnny Furphy, whether it's a Marco Jackson, whoever it may be, you're going to have some ups and downs. That's the nature of playing freshman. Grady Dick had some games where he had some ups and downs. And it just so happened that in this game against West Virginia for Johnny Furphy, the downs came at a really bad time in which he was unable to box out a free-throw shooter and gave him a couple offensive rebounds that really, really – ultimately sealed Kansas's fate. Uh, but I think overall you still got to feel more positively than negatively about Johnny Furphy and about the fact that, to your point, this starting five for Kansas, it's I think it's probably one of the best starting five in the country when yeah. you look at it with Furphy. Uh, and I think some of the metrics reflect that as well. So you still feel pretty good about that. But, but, yeah, man, it's a really, really tough loss. It's a really, really tough loss to stomach. And it's even worse when you consider the fact that this is not a situation where you go on the road against UCF and you lose. You go on the road against West Virginia, and you lose, and you could say, "Well, you know, we'll just get him back down, fill Fieldhouse, house, so that'll give us some easy wins." <clears throat> Wrong. No, you don't get him back. Why? Because you got an unbalanced schedule. Yeah, so, so, you like get to, you get- so you get to go on the road and yeah. lose for free, and you get nothing. Okay, <laughs> so that's what really sucks even more about it. So it's just a it's just a crappy situation all around. The good news for Kansas continues to be that. The rest of the Big 12, it's it's all, everybody's experiencing pretty much the same thing, right? I mean, Houston has lost some games on the road where they've kind of gotten blasted. Uh, you, you look at Baylor losing on the road. Uh, every, everybody is having problems with, with opponents maybe they probably shouldn't have problems with. So to, the, to that end, Kansas is still definitely right in the thick of the Big 12 race. And it increasingly seems like, unless, I guess at this point, Houston would be the team you look to to say, okay, well, maybe they end up separating. But it, it really does seem like, You get to twelve and six, you're probably maybe getting a share because you might end up having three or four or five teams that are between like twelve and six and ten and eight or whatever in conference. That's that that really is how it could be shaping up, but it's frustrating because in years where that has happened, it has been Kansas who's been the team that's risen up and has you know ended up finishing fourteen and four whatever and finished two games ahead of everybody else or whatever and kind of pacing the pack, and that's not the case right now. Obviously, you're down in the mud. You're down in the thick of it. And you're play- and On top of that, you just got finished playing what objectively are your three easiest road games in conference, and you went one and two. That stinks. Your other six road games: Iowa State in Ames, very difficult place to win; at Texas Tech, those they go crazy; at Kansas State, you know what that's going to be, their Super Bowl; at Houston, at Oklahoma, and at Baylor. I think is the other one, right? Those those are your last six yeah. home. Those are your last six road games. Okay. None of those are gimmies. In fact, they're all going to be very, very difficult. And so the games that were supposed to be your gimmies on the road ended up not being that, and that really, really stinks. And I think on top of that, it's just going to add fuel to the fire for those other teams, those, the Iowa States of the world, the Kansas States of the world, the Texas Texas of the world, who I'm sure are going to see, hey, these boys, they're vulnerable on the road. I mean, we get a good environment, we can we can, we can take them down a notch. And that, that it's just... It's just not a good recipe for success right now for Kansas. Uh, I mean, I think they'll be fine long-term. You know, you're still probably going to end up finishing top two or three in the conference. But a Big 12 championship, which by no means was guaranteed to begin with, now suddenly the path seems a little bit more difficult where you're going to have to go on the road and probably find a way to get wins at Kansas State, at Baylor, you know, maybe even at Houston late in the season. Uh, Those... If you can find a way to win against Iowa State on the road, things like that, you're going to have to find a way to scratch and claw to some of those wins,
0: and it is going to be very, very difficult. Yeah, so a couple things I want to touch on there. One, the whole idea that as much as as West Virginia did shoot to a point where it's like you kind of just tip your cap and you're like, we weren't going to win that, that's what I think is frustrating there, that if KU does do better on the rebounding battle, you lose 31-22, it was one of your worst defensive rebound rates of the season, Specifically, if you just do well on maybe some of those free throw rebounds, you still might win the game despite how well they shoot. You mentioned the UCF game, and I think that's what makes this one worse, too, because it would be one thing to say, like, it feels like you're allowed maybe one or two, like, one just weird trip up every year. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. You're allowed one more trip-up. We talk about the Big 12 as the best conference in the country. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to have a trip-up or two. Exactly, because a team is going to play like this. Yes. Unfortunately, the UCF game was not that. The UCF game was you yes. being bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, that UCF loss disallowed you from being able to stomach this one. You know? So so that's kind of the problem there. And, and I do think it continues to kind of catch up a little bit here in the start of Big 12 play. KU and the non-con played with fire a lot. They played down to their competition a lot. And I think you're seeing that so far when KU's played on the road. They obviously had the big win against Oklahoma State. That was, you know, the best they've looked on the road. Their other three road games, lost to UCF, lost to West Virginia, and even the one at Indiana. Indiana's not been a good team this year. And they barely won that game on the road. So they've had real issues so far on the road this season. Um, I think that's a little bit worrisome. Now, I, I do think there are still, like, If we're looking big picture from this loss, the big picture of the impact of the loss is about the Big 12. Yeah. In a weird, sick way, I almost feel a little bit—I feel worse about their Big 12 chances. I feel better about their NCAA tournament chances coming after this game. I know that sounds stupid— but, like, I, I don't know that you can expect everyone to shoot like West Virginia did against you. Now, we know the, the whole story that, like, everybody seems to shoot better than <laughs> what they actually are. But, like, that level was just a whole other level of ridiculous. Yeah. So, Johnny Furphy, you're basically, by putting Furphy in the lineup over on Marco, you are making a trade off of better offense for basically worse defense. But you're also getting a little better rebounding, even though he gave up those rebounds at the end. He's still you know, better than El Marco Jackson as a yeah. rebounder.
1: And Bill Self actually has praised Johnny Furphy's defense he because he's a little bit of a longer body, mm-hmm. obviously, just more size. Gives him more versatility and everything. Yeah.
0: But what we've seen so far, yes, maybe having Furphy in the starting lineup increases your chance of what West Virginia did on the offensive side of the court, where it increases your chance of giving up a big uh, offensive output the other way. Up until Johnny Furphy was in the starting lineup, KU's offense was not doing enough to be a legit national title contender. Before he entered the starting lineup, they were ranked around like 38-40 in Ken Palm adjusted offensive efficiency. That would be the second worst offense over the last like 25 years. The only one worse, that weird like 2014 UConn team. To win a national title. So the offense wasn't good enough. And yes, the defense has dropped off a little bit, mainly because of the West Virginia game. But then again, maybe you just point to the West Virginia game and say, oh, well, that was just them being hot less about what you did defensively. KU's offense has risen up. They're a top 30 offense at this point. They're 26th on Ken Palm adjusted offensive efficiency. And I think it's got the arrow pointed in the right direction. Now, obviously, Nick Timberlake played well, too. I thought that was good yeah. to see. But as much as there are going to be some defensive woes with Johnny Furphy at times... And there are going to be young freshman moments of Johnny Furphy, like not boxing sure. out the shooter on the free throw but line. But you'd yeah. have that anyways if you played on Marco. Correct. You, you have to almost accept that. This is what you signed up for when you basically recruited Artario Morris, who had some off the court stuff, and there was a chance that there was always going to be something that that came back to bite you there. You chose to pick Artario Morris over picking somebody else, Right. And so from that standpoint, you kind of made your bed there with what happened. And because of that, that has forced you to start a freshman since Timberlake didn't get it together. Ideally, Timberlake would have got it together and maybe you been that other starter and you would have had a more experienced player, though I think it'd be similar to Furphy anyway because better offensive player than defense player. Nonetheless, you're going to have to accept some ups and downs with a freshman in the starting lineup. The good news is that with Furphy instead of Omarco Jackson, you are getting way more ups.
1: Yeah, especially you getting, from the perimeter.
0: Exactly. You're getting way more three-point shooting. You're getting more positives. You're getting more big-time moments and flash plays than you ever were getting with Elmarco Jackson. And it is important to remember, this was Johnny Furphy's, what, what? second start? Third, third start? start. Third, start. Third, start. Yeah. third start. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Okay, so just his third start. There are going to be downs, but this is one of those plays where come March, come the NCAA tournament, you hope by that point it's smoothed over. Ideally, maybe you would go back in time. Middle of December, and you say, "Hey, Furphy, let's start you now." You know,
1: but you can't but, do that. Yeah, well, and again, I mean, we're not in practices. I, I touched on this last week too, around this discussion uh, while you were gone. Is that, you know, we're not in practices and whatnot. Maybe from the outside, it's like, "Oh my gosh, you should have been starting Furphy the whole time." But from the inside, it was, you know, "Hey, this guy's not quite ready yet," to, and for us to make that move. And then they made the move when they felt like he was ready. You know, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not. It's it's very easy to put on the hindsight glasses and say, "Why was not Furphy starting in November? Maybe he
0: wasn't quite fully." Good enough and ready, you know, everything else to actually do that. You yeah, know? for sure. Now, this is a little bit concerning, though, the playing down to the competition thing. Maybe it makes this team more prone in the first round or early rounds of the NCAA tournament. I mean, oddly enough, last year's team, I don't think, lost to a single team outside of, like, the top 40 in Ken Palm. Top 30, maybe even. And they lost in the second round, so maybe it doesn't really mean much in the yeah. NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's just stuck against wacky, a, right? a bad draw, though. Yeah, for sure. It was a bad, Yeah. Uh, but th- this is interesting. Number of Kansas losses to teams ranked outside the Ken Palm Top 50. They already have two of them this year. UCF and West Virginia. Yep. Now, they're not going to have many games against outside Top 50 from here on, no. so maybe that yeah. number won't really go up. Yeah. But the previous four seasons combined, they had zero. <laughs> wow. Isn't that incredible? That is pretty crazy. Now, again, there might not be any rhyme or reason to that because you do have one team that won the title. Last year's team yep. got a one seed but lost yep. in the second round. One of those teams was the team that lost in second round by a billion points to USC. So I don't yep. know. Maybe there's no rhyme or reason and
1: there. If we go back the last four years, you're probably including the COVID
0: team, the team yeah. that got the tournament canceled. So that's and another that team, one on the positive side where it's like that team was really good. Exactly. That team was you know, going to win the national title probably. The last time KU lost two games to teams outside of the ten, Ken Palm Top fifteen in the same season was the 2018-19 season. I do think that's a little interesting because in my head, I have kind of equated this team a little bit to that team. You have this all-American big man, Diedrich Lawson, Hunter Dickinson. You have, I don't know, I- your bench never really came together that year. You have some young freshmen who haven't been as consistent as you wanted, right? Quentin Grimes maybe that year, maybe this year on Marco Jackson, who were supposed to come in and, and be big-time players. I think there are some similarities there. I do think this team's better than that for what it's worth because yeah. I do think, well, I mean, one, LeGerald Vick got kicked off the team basically <laughs> midway through the season. <laughs>
1: That's not going to happen to Kevin McCullough, you think. You would Kevin, hope, yeah. right?
0: Um, so that's a little bit different there because when they had Vic, they were a little bit better. Uh, but I do think there are some similarities there, and I do find that a little bit interesting. But either way, KU's path to the Big 12, I don't know that it looks good anymore. Been here before under Bill Self. Been sure. in similar, if not maybe even worse. Yeah, I mean, circumstances still won it all. Or, it's or easy to be 12. like,
1: oh, the sky is falling. But it's also easy to be like, man, yeah. Bill Self, dude. I mean, he's just going to do his thing.
0: And I'm going to fully acknowledge if KU wins both games this week, you're back? Back. back. Because, in theory, back. I was almost viewing when when you were looking at the schedule. You were expect, we probably go, expecting to lose in Ames. I was saying you probably lose in Ames, yeah. right? Yeah. So, if you win in Ames, you get back the loss of West Virginia. Yeah. But you got to win both this week. Yeah. So let's see if they do it. One other thing
1: uh, I just wanted to point out quickly on the West Virginia game is, K only had seven turnovers in the game. Mentioned it how they've done a, little, a lot better job with turnovers. But this was a game that sh- shows that not all turnovers are created equal. Kansas was down one, 82 81, with two minutes left in the game. And Kevin McCullough threw it away to KJ Adams. And at that moment, I was like, ah, might have just lost the game. Turns out they did. Yeah. So
0: key moment turnovers. All right. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to some more KU basketball talk. We'll also preview the Cincinnati game later today. We've got that game for you on KLWN, 6.30 pregame, tip off at 8 o'clock. Also, recap the Chiefs game. That was a fun one last night and some KU football news. Jordan Peterson heading to Texas A&M, that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Jordan Peterson leaves for Texas a and We'll get to that in the 4 o'clock hour. Chiefs recap, NFL Monday overreactions coming up then as well. Then we'll uh, preview the KU Cincinnati game coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. That came tonight on KLWN and 105.9 KISS at 8 o'clock pregame at 6.30. We're going to do our KU basketball takeaways and heroes and villains segment here. Let's start with our basketball takeaways. Biggest positives of the game. Obviously, the loss itself makes it tougher to bring up the positives. But I do think there were some in the game. Is there any that stick out the most to you? The biggest positive for me,
1: uh, something that I actually use as the biggest positive for a game earlier in the year for KU is Kevin McCuller's clutch shooting. I mean, I think in the NCAA tournament, there are a couple things that you need if you want to make a deep run. Mm-hmm. You're going to need some strong guard play. KU has Dewan Harris. You feel pretty good about that. You're going to need a, a, a star-level a star player, You got Hunter Dickinson. But most importantly, I think, when it comes to the NCAA tournament, you need a guy that is going to reliably get you a big-time bucket late in games when you need it the most. Kevin McCuller has now proven in multiple games this season that he is that guy. He's that dude. Or that guy, pal. Yes, he is that guy. That's him. KU's down 78-72 with about a little over four and and a half minutes left in the game. Kevin McCuller steps into a corner three. Bang! They're right back in the game. The dude just – and then he hit a couple other clutch lay- uh, jumpers also down the stretch as well. It just, it just really jumped out to me a lot that KU has that type of player that they can go to late in the game. Because I think you you need that in the NCAA tournament. You need a guy that you can give the ball to him and say, you got to go make a shot. And I think Kevin McCullough can do that and will do that based off what he's done so far this season in tight games. Uh, so I was really, really – Happy to see that, even though he also was the guy that threw it away late on a miscommunication. But
0: yeah, it was a big, big positive for me. No, and I, I do think uh, to that same notion, like the turnovers, the lack of turnovers, that was another good positive here. Every game that you start to string that together yeah. after how the first two games went, even though, like you said, there was a clutch one there. Overall, it was good there. The two point offense was really good. You scored them by eighteen on points of the paint. I think overall, you would just say the KU offense. Yeah, I mean, they shot for a higher percentage from the field. Than West Virginia. It's just that West Virginia shot 60% from three. Right. That's going to make you lose a lot of games. And when you look at it, like, so, like, that was uh, by adjusted efficiency on Ken Palm. That was KU's fifth best offensive game. Three of the top five are the NC Central, Manhattan, and UMKC games. So, like, if you're talking real games, the top five for KU, I guess if you want to view it as like top 150 opponents, one, Oklahoma State, two, West Virginia. Three TCU, four Yale, five Oklahoma. And what do three of those five have in common? Johnny Furphy was the starter. So, I mean, you you look at it, and and when Furphy's been the starting lineup, this has been a much, much, much better offense so far for KU. So I think that is positive. I think, furthermore, that makes Johnny Furphy at least a positive there for a bit. It just gives you floor spacing. It does.
1: I mean, I think that's what it gives you the most. Teams can't play like how we saw
0: Missouri try to play against Kansas, where Mm -hmm. they just
1: sag way off. And basically triple team hunter Dickinson in the paint.
0: Yeah. No, you can't do that. And and that is such a boon for those guys on the inside. Yeah. Uh Nick Timberlake helped with the floor spacing too. I think he was a yep. big positive in the game. Yeah. You know, that was really nice to see. He yep. scores twelve points. Yeah, I actually I really like the approach. And I don't
1: I don't know if this is, is like intended or not, if this is like the messaging from the staff and if Timberlake's doing it on the floor. But I actually really like the idea of Timberlake was what what was Timberlake brought in to do? Shoot threes, mm-hmm. right? That was that was what he that was the big the big thing with him. That didn't happen early in the season. He was struggling. But what I like about kind of what's been happening with him that as he's gotten better over these, or, uh, feels like he's starting to have some things click for him is that he's not hunting threes only. It feels like he's trying. It feels like he's decided. Okay, you know what? And, and again, I don't know if maybe this this is Bill Self and the coaches in practice saying this, but you know, hey, maybe don't worry about the perimeter shooting. Well, just focus on playing your game and getting. Getting into rhythm, getting more comfortable, and the three-point shooting will come eventually, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's kind of what we've seen from him, which I think is actually a really smart strategy to approach the situation, considering how badly he struggled from three. You know, instead of instead of instead of Bill sutter saying get in there and shoot more threes, they'll start falling eventually, which like that's probably not a great recipe for building up confidence. It's hey,
0: do the do the other things. Yeah, do the other things well, and the shooting will come. By the way, I'm looking at Bart Torvik since the Oklahoma game. Kansas is fifth in adjusted offensive efficiency. They've been much better. Now, they're only 105th in defense, most of that the West Virginia game. (laughs) We'll leave that here or there. uh, By the way, though, since that same point, I don't know why. This is just a random note. St. Mary's is third in offense and first in defense. That's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, Anyway, uh, negatives for the game. What is the biggest negative? Oh, man, it's got to be rebounding. The rebounding was a disaster.
1: It costed the game late on the offensive glass. You were playing against a team that already was not a great rebounding team. Minus their big man, who had just gotten out-rebounded by 14 in their last game. And you have Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams and Johnny Furphy. It should have been a huge, huge advantage for Kansas in this game. And instead, it was a big negative And part of the reason why they did lose late, uh, which was very frustrating to see. So, I don't know if Kansas just came into the game and thought, well, you know, it'll be fine. No Jesse Edwards. We'll just, you know, we'll just do our thing. Wrong. <laughs> So that was a very, very big negative for me was just the, the rebounding. Lowest rebounding total of the season for Kansas. That, you're not going to win games that way. No. I, I, don't, I don't care if you shoot 60% from the floor, whatever you're not going to win games with your lowest rebounding total of the season.
0: Yeah, and it was their, by rebound rate, it was their second worst offensive rebound rate of the season. The only ones that were, they were tied with the Connecticut game, which UConn's a great rebounding team, and the only one worse was the Tennessee game. That's another really good rebounding team, so that one makes a bit more sense. That's just offensive rebounding. Defensive rebounding, this was also one of your worst games of the season. And so if you have... One of the worst games on offense and defensive rebounding, uh, because they had West Virginia had a 34.6% offensive rebounding rate. The only game worse this year for KU was the Eastern Illinois game. That was an almost loss. The next game that was almost as bad as West Virginia, Marquette, that was a loss. The next game, TCU, that was almost a loss. Yeah, the rebounding certainly is correlated to uh, how this team has done. I guess three yeah. point defense, though. There were definitely some times they left West Virginia too open. There were definitely a lot of times that West Virginia just made tough shots, made yeah. partially contested or fully contested shots. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should pick that one. Maybe we shouldn't. Um, but I think in the end, it's the result itself is the biggest negative. Oh, for sure. What, right? what this means, big What picture. this means for the Big 12, what yeah. this means for your margin for error the rest of the way. Yeah. This is one you couldn't lose, and you did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's one that you really felt like you did need to get a win, and and listen, I don't know. Maybe West Virginia gets Jesse Edwards back, and they end up being a team that maybe wins six or seven games in conference, and they end up being a little bit better. Uh, but that that still doesn't make this loss any any better, to f- for in terms of what it does to Kansas, right? right. Uh, because it's not like Kansas is concerned about a loss like this affecting their NCAA tournament resume. They're mm-hmm. going to be there. They're going to be a one seed or a two seed or like a three seed at worst, right? So who who the hell cares about this loss in terms of resume? It only matters in terms of Big Twelve, the Big Twelve title race,
0: and that's what Kansas cares about. And it was definitely a big blow early to that. All right, so neutral. I I alluded to this in the previous segment. I think it might be the front court. Hunter Dickinson had 19 points. That's really good. Yeah, he also had five assists. I think he had two blocks, two steals. Yeah. KJ Adams, if you combine him and Hunter, had 30 points on fine efficiency, but. When you're looking to the rebounding being a problem, I know it's not just them. Furphy can get rebounds. Kevin can get rebounds. uh, Parker Brown off the bench can get rebounds. But you're mostly looking to your four and five man to collect a lot of your rebounds. And they had just nine rebounds. And then we talked about this earlier that um, for West Virginia, Sumnick, who was not a good scorer coming in, five points per game, he had 20 points. And it was KU's forwards who were on him. So I think you could argue they were the biggest neutral of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I I look at the I like
1: at the bench you got a game from Nick Timberlake Parker Brown didn't didn't record a stat besides a foul by the way <laughs> in the five minutes he played didn't didn't didn't, didn't record a, a single stat uh El Marco Jackson played sparingly ended up scoring only two points Jeron McDowell again supposedly uh, allegedly played at some point in the game I don't remember specifically <laughs> uh but then Timberlake did have a good game off the bench right but that's still Overall, still kind of feels like a neutral. I mean, all, four, all five of your starters played minimum 31 minutes. KJ played 38. Dickinson, 36. DeWan
0: 36. Okay, let me ask you so. a quick question to this with the bench. Because I, I do agree it can be a neutral because Timberlake was great, but everything else didn't really give you much. Fine, sure. We've already seen now Johnny Furphy move into the starting lineup over L. Marco Jackson. Okay. Is there a chance Nick Timberlake continues to do what he did against West Virginia? Is there a world where in a month from now, El marco Jackson isn't even getting rotation minutes that they just say, "Hey, screw it, we're going to give all the minutes to Johnny Furphy and Nick Timberlake for the for those guard bench minutes." Well, you Marco's going to have to play a little bit. I mean, you're, you you want, you want a
1: seven-man rotation with maybe. Timberlake and Parker Brown as your only two guys off the bench? Uh, maybe. No, al is going to still play a little bit. Uh, I thought I thought where you were going with that question, which is a bit more reasonable take, I think, would be, it's just that Timberlake is the first guy off the bench; he's your sixth guy okay. instead of El Marco. I think that's very plausible, very very plausible. Uh, and and listen, I think El Marco seemingly has embraced what he's
0: doing, in and kind of taking a little bit of a back seat here. Has he though? Good. What do you mean? I feel bad just crapping on players, and and like I still think that Marco's going to have like a, a high ceiling and eventually going to be. I'm just a talking good about from like David. a mentality standpoint. Maybe, but like this, this is my like okay. Here's the three games he's played off the bench. He's collectively played 39 minutes, so 13 minutes per game. He is averaging two points. No, I know he's not doing much. One point three rebounds. I'm just saying it seems he to has have... one assist to two turnovers, and he has five fouls. No, I I know he's not doing much. I'm just saying
1: it seems that it seems that. From like a mentality standpoint, from a morale standpoint, he seems to have handled it well, to where he's not going
0: to become completely. Useless. He's not like complaining about it or anything. I do yeah. agree with that. I I think El Marco's a good kid and everything, and and that's why I do partially have hope that he'll get it well, figured I mean, out. But I say, I don't know if he's going to get. Think figured about
1: out how it. MJ Rice handled getting less hits sure. and and being taken out because he was struggling. Mm-hmm. Not good. I don't think El Marco's doing.
0: He's leaps and bounds better in that area. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think that's why I still have hope for a Marco long-term. I just don't know if that long-term is long-term this year or if it's as a sophomore, junior, or something like that. Um, I don't even know if we should do a play of the game. I mean, if, if Marco's steal wouldn't have been a foul, that would have probably been the play of the game. Or yeah. if Kevin's shot that ended up being a two, if it was on line, if that would have ended up being a three, Ye- maybe they would have had a better chance. Maybe yep. that's the play of the game. Yep. yep. But it's hard to pick one with, I actually okay, I you lost. That. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, by the can, way, KJ Adams had a nice dunk. I guess we should mention it because we didn't talk about it in the open. Uh, was it not a foul? I don't think it was a foul. Should oh, the Marco play. The El Marco play. Oh, it was. I don't think it was a foul. I don't think it was. Well, have okay. been clean. Beyond that, I don't. I actually,
1: I'm curious I mean, I'm curious uh, with with Bill Self what he what he's most mad about there because, it. I don't even know if it was a situation where if was it a foul was it not a foul. I think it was more the fact that it was like they had like eight and a half seconds in the backcourt to where. Even if Marco doesn't get the steal, it's probably a backcourt violation.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was definitely right? running out. That's definitely possible why he was mad. So, at me. He made some post-game comments about it, though, too, which you don't normally see with Bill Self. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe that was part of it. But uh, I, I do think I, – I said this after the TCU game. I thought that the, the flagrant foul that went your way in the TCU game was a 50-50 call. It could have gone your way. It sure. might not have. I didn't have sure. a problem with it going your way. Uh, I think it's very understandable why it did. But my point was that – it's not worth talking about much because in Big 12 play, where there's going to be so many close games, there's going to be games where you lose close and there's a call that goes against you late and you're going to feel like that's part of the reason you yeah. lost. And then there's going to be probably another game where it's the opposite, where you maybe have a call that's favorable to your way and you win close. It's going to balance itself out. And so I'm, I'm not going to get my, I guess, panties and wad over, over that one specifically. Okay. Okay, so that's our uh, that portion of it. Sort uh, of our play of the game. Yeah, I guess. Heroes of the game. Offensive hero, it's hard to not pick Kevin McCuller, Kevin McCuller. Right? McCuller. Yeah, Sneaky Nick Timberlake, I guess. Yeah. Sneaky, Sneaky Nick Timberlake. Half. Uh, Johnny Furphy was on pace to do it after the first 4 minutes. First yeah. 4 minutes of the game. Johnny Furphy goes 3 for 3 from 3. He has 9 points and KU had 13 points. The other 4 points that they had, they it was a miss that Johnny Furphy got the offensive rebound, passed it to I want to say Kevin, I can't remember who. They went one of one at the or one of two at the free throw line. And then he got the offensive rebound on the free throw and then Uh, they hit a three off it. Somebody else hit a three. Maybe Kevin. So, the first 13 points of the game for KU in the first four minutes were all related to Johnny Furby. The first four minutes... And that was what was so
1: frustrating about the start of the game for Kansas was you got off to a great start. got off to a hot start. Just like you did against Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. The difference was, so did West Virginia. And it was very frustrating. Because it was just buckets every time down the floor. Both ways. And in that game, it's like, you're Kansas. You're the better defense. You should be able to lock down and get a stop here to start building some momentum and it just never happened defensive hero
0: I mean I guess Dewan Harris yeah I mean Hunter Dickinson had good defensive stats I think the, the two blocks but I, based on I, I don't know I, I didn't think it was like a great defensive game for him specifically I don't know who else you would pick to be honest I mean everybody for West Virginia went off yeah and even Dewan Harris who's guarding Kirk Carissa a lot Kirk Carissa had 15 points yeah but Dewan had five steals which was the way, impactful so I, I agree Kerr, can we talk about the fact that he had Kerr on his jersey? Yeah, that he had his, his what, what's first up, name. What's up with that? I mean, that's kind of similar to like uh, Asian-born players do that, right? Like Yao Ming had Yao on his jersey. I think it's just in, in some countries. Yeah, is it it's allowed? Just, I mean, yeah, obviously it, it is. Allowed? It's just in well, some countries know, the, the surname you, is, is more of uh, your first You just name. get
1: to pick whatever you want on the back of your jersey?
0: I think it has to be your name. I don't think a player could put like Rocket Man on the back of his jersey. if he's just, Well, why not? We're just letting guys put their first name on there. I do think it would be. I I remember the MLB. I want to say did this one. Yeah. like they had a series where like yeah. the players had or nicknames. They, yeah, no, that,
1: they right? made it like a whole day. It was it was a specific day where it was like nickname day during the regular season. A couple yeah, years. Ago. I'd be okay with
0: that, but once you get into Big Twelve play, I feel like you don't need the gimmicks. You know, maybe do that That's for like I'm the saying. UMKC just game. Have Carissa on the back of your jersey. What's so hard about that? Well, in maybe where he's from. I know it's some Eastern European country. Maybe they they view it as the other way. What's his wrong name? Kerker. Ker Kerr. Acock, acok. Or a cook, a cook, however yeah. you say it. I think it's a cook a cook. Uh the other hero, I don't know if you could think of anything, but there was one easy one for me. It didn't even have to do with the KU game. It was the Chiefs. <laughs> uh- the Chiefs saved the sports weekend. Oh, yeah. Because after this loss for KU to West Virginia, that was devastating. That would have been a really brutal weekend yeah, for the dude. Chiefs to lose. To. It they
1: saved is the- horrible when you allow five random dudes on a basketball court. To determine your entire emotional well-being for like 24 to 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in 11 random dudes on a football field,
0: <laughs> and it's even worse. So I think the Chiefs saved it. The Chiefs made everybody feel a little bit better going into their Monday. Sure. Is there anything else, other hero? I, I don't uh, know what you would pick. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know, to be honest. Okay. Villains.
1: Villains, Uh, first of all, the stupid musket mountaineer guy, Okay. For those guy? that do not know, I have been to some games at in Morgantown. I was not aware that they have a dude fire off a literal musket right in your ears. So I'm sitting there, minding my own business. Mm-hmm. Bang! That jumped out of my pants. It was horrible. It was terrible. So that dude
0: is a villain to me every time. Okay. There's like no that. need to be firing off a musket in the middle of a basketball arena. huh Ridiculous. I mean, the fans themselves—they booed Hunter Dickinson the whole game. They did, yeah. They, they made him their stupid
1: little whatever. I still think that whole thing is
0: stupid, where they have their newsletter and it tells them how to. Yeah, it do is dumb. fans Like and stuff. be a be a basketball fan.
1: Just, Understand just what game. you're.
0: Yeah. For you real. heard a lot of like FBI chants and yelling at Bill Self because it wasn't <laughs> even a full crowd. So you heard like individuals at points, or <laughs> if you really tuned in, you could hear like what they were saying. Uh, boxing out. Gets yeah, a villain boxing out was debut. a villain. And I think above all else. Anybody who shot the basketball for West Virginia. But if we want to specifically take some people. Yeah. Raekwon Battle. Yep. I mean, a he hit some real tough shot. A 25% right? three-point shooter who hit
1: a couple ridiculous long-range. And some
0: games. of the mid-range, too, that he hit were yep. uh, pretty incredible. The Sumnick guy. Yep. Pat Sumnick. Pat Sumnick, Sumnick, whatever. He, on the season, is, even after the game, averaging 5.3 points per game. He had 20. Kirk Carissa also went off. And then how about this one? Seth Wilson off the bench. He, on the season, is shooting 29.9% from the field, but he went three for three from three. That is heroes and villains and our KU basketball takeaways. Let's get to some uh, Jordan Peterson news next on RCST with KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their Total Body Stretch Service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe around a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind. And they also have Rapid Tension Services and Advanced Skin Care. Saj Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence, and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. 4 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. We'll get to our Chiefs recap, NFL Monday overreactions, and then we'll switch into previewing the Kansas-Cincinnati game happening tonight, Big Monday, in Allen Fieldhouse, pregame 630, tip-off at 8 o'clock between the Jayhawks and the Bearcats. Some KU football news over the weekend, though. Jordan Peterson, who was the KU defensive backs coach, has left for oh, a position. He was also
1: co, co- defense coordinator.
0: That's right, yeah. Promoted he was, he was uh, promoted to co-defensive coordinator this offseason earlier. He's left for the safeties position at Texas A&M. Now, it's kind of a weird move because going from being a co-defensive coordinator at a Power 5 school or soon to be Power 4 to going to a safeties position, that does sound like a bit of a downgrade, but then again – Because Texas A&M is in the SEC, where that really is the main two with the Big Ten and SEC, because Texas A&M has so much money that they spend on football, it wouldn't surprise me if even with technically a lesser title, he's actually getting more money, and Texas A&M is Jordan Peterson's alma mater, all of that stuff makes a bit more sense. Yeah. I don't know if, if it's good fortune or bad fortune of the timing for this, because on one hand, if this would have happened in the middle of December, like before signing day, for instance, do more players transfer away? Do some of the players that he did a great job recruiting end up not signing on the dotted line? Yeah. Um, then again, the timing of this is unfortunate because um, I guess it's just a weird time of year. You're getting ready to start spring ball. Um, if it does kind of impact things in spring, how does that have an effect on anything? It comes after you promoted him to Co-DC to, make, to where you felt like, okay, we're keeping this guy, at yeah. least for this year. So from that standpoint, the timing's not great. Uh, but I, I do actually lean toward the side of that, that it is fortunate more when the timing of this did happen because the portal is closed now. And that would mean that any player who wants to transfer, if you're a grad transfer, I guess you could go whenever you wanted. But the other players would have to leave at the end of spring ball. Theoretically, I
1: think, I think that it reopens in, like, March.
0: Yeah, whatever it is. Like, yeah. in spring, I guess yeah. would be the way of putting it. Yeah. So, I mean, on its own, if a player wants to transfer because Jordan Peterson is gone, this the timing of it might not stop them. It would just change when they'd be able to do it. But the good news there is that if it does open up in March, that gives you a month, month and a half, two months for whoever your new coach is or for just the current staff that's there to convince the guys – not to leave, to convince the guys to stay, to build those relationships that can overcome losing Jordan Peterson. The bad news to that is if you do, like imagine you go through spring ball and a player sticks with it and then decides at the end of spring ball, hey, Jordan Peterson's not here, I'm leaving. That would really suck if you gave that player all the spring reps and then you weren't able to give them to somebody else and then they were gone. So there are some positives and negatives that can come about this. Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's definitely a it's a, a bad loss. loss and a big loss considering what, he had, what Jordan Peterson had done in the time that he was at Kansas. Uh, but I had always kind of thought, my thought process had always been, even as the Lance Leipold and Washington stuff kind of unfolded and that was going around and people were concerned about Lance Leipold, my bigger concern was always going to be the ripple effect beyond that, which is, and it, it, obviously this wasn't, it didn't specifically happen in this case, but basically, Alabama hires Kalen DeBoer, Washington hires whoever, and then those coaches are like, okay, I need to build a staff. Who do I want to build my staff with? Well, here's a bunch of guys at Kansas that have done a really great job with their staff right, at their position coaches level that would be great targets for other staffs to try to elevate their elevate what they're doing. And that's kind of what we see here with, with Jordan Peterson going to Texas A&M. Now, this is a bit different because, as you said, he's it's his alma mater. You figure that connection probably helps lure him to Texas A&M. You mentioned the money also. Probably there's – that involved as well and listen maybe this is a situation where KU said hey listen jordan peterson you can be co-dc and you know brian borland is going to be the dc but you might be the next the dc in waiting and maybe texas a&m was said hey come to texas a&m and if if things go well you can be the dc a lot faster Mm -hmm. maybe that's part of it I, i don't know it just depends and obviously money can talk as well so it's definitely a tough loss uh, and it may not be the first loss for Kansas on their on their coaching staff, right? Sure. And I'll be curious to see how Lance Lipel handles this because I think when you look at his kind of philosophy of coaching staff continuity and all that, that type of philosophy probably works really well at the D3 level, at the lower level, right? Even at like a Buffalo, right? When you get to this level and there is this amount of money being thrown around, this amount of Opportunity being thrown around for these types of coaches, guys that want to go up the ladder quick. It is not going to be easy, and it is actually going—it's actually going to get increasingly more difficult, especially the more success that Kansas has, for Lance Leipold to be able to maintain a level of staff continuity that I, that he probably wants to. It's just—that's just the fact of it, right? And so, what what his, what is his response going to be? How is he going to handle possibly having to deal with losing other guys that are you know in his staff? position coaches. That's something I want to keep an eye on. But as far as it goes with Jordan Peterson, I mean, you think about the immediate impact of the loss. He's your defensive backs coach. What's a room that has seen a lot of improvement that you felt really, really good about over the course of the past couple of years?
0: The defensive backs. No, I mean, his come up, I mean, he was the one holdover from the Les Miles staff and, yeah. and helping develop that room. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Then again, you Bryant, could say with how much talent they have in there, they are better equipped to overcome this could loss. Could have
1: been. Kobe Bryant, Melo Dotson. But then beyond that is... Certainly Jordan Peterson's recruiting prowess, Mm -hmm. right? We spent a lot of time talking about the pipeline to Arizona and Kansas going out and recruiting that area and getting some really, really solid commits, including Deshaun Warner, the best-rated commit in Kansas football history. Who was the lead guy on that? It was Jordan Peterson. He's the guy that literally hand-built that pipeline for Kansas to go out west and get some guys from Arizona. Yeah, let
0: me real quick. Here's the here's the uh recruits that he was either primaries or secondaries on for just this class. Yeah. Deshawn Warner, Dak Brinkley, your two highest rated recruits. Austin Alexander, all three of those are four stars. Um and in the case of Warner, he is uh from that Arizona area. Carter Lavrusky, Arizona area, not Desert Edge but Arizona. Also John John Kamara who just ran like a 448 448- laser-timed 40 today, Yeah, um, he was a three-star from Desert Edge. And then secondaries on Jameel Croft, who was – or I'm sorry, secondary on Jalen Todd, who uh, is a really good corner coming in. And then he also has, has guys that he was uh, primaries on in the past, Jacoby Davis last year, O.J. Burroughs a couple years uh, before that, and Jason Gilliam as well, who are key players, and Jamil Croft from a year before. So he has been an excellent recruiter. Yeah, and that's probably where this hurts the most
1: for Kansas, right? Because – at Kansas right now at least, you need guys like Jordan Peterson to be really strong recruiters because even though you are on the come up, even though the arrow in, in the trajectory of this program is pointed up, it doesn't the 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 vestiges of the past of the past decade of of struggles for Kansas, those don't just go away overnight, right? Mm-hmm. The the perceived notion of KU as a program that doesn't just change overnight, right? Now, as you have more success, it will certainly help to remove that idea. But you still need guys to go out and recruit and pitch and say, "Hey, listen, you know, forget about what you've learned. Forget about what you heard about Kansas when you were a younger guy, when you were, you know, maybe in a, in middle school or, or first getting into high school. We're building something different here, and you need guys like that. And so it, that's definitely where this loss hurts the most, I think by far is is on the recruiting trail with with Peterson leaving for Texas A and M." Now the good news for Kansas is if you're concerned about possibly guys, uh, you mentioned the transfer portal and how guys might try to transfer out. With with commitments, those guys signed on the dotted line, but they could still, I guess, you know, transfer or whatever, out, yeah. yeah, or whatever. Well, the right? way so, that it's
0: going, where players are going to be able to transfer as many times as they want, it won't really matter whether yeah. you sign or not. You just yeah. transfer and you get unlimited, right? Yeah, but. The point being that it's it seems
1: like especially the guys from Desert Edge, which I think were the guys that people are most worried about, Deshaun Warner, who is a one the number one one forty eight recruit in the country, uh, Jonathan Kamara and uh, Andre Gibson, those guys all seem pretty committed to KU, and it seems as though Kansas is going to be able to maintain a lot of all those guys, all those commitments. Uh, if you were on social media, you might have seen some of those guys posting some stuff. I know, I think actually this morning Lance Leipold or maybe yesterday, uh, and a couple of the staff members were out to Arizona to probably meet with those guys to reassure them that every that you know that and make sure that they're still good to go. And Andre Gibson tweeted out a photo with with all them together. So it would seem as though Kansas has survived sort of the the, the idea of some of those guys possibly wavering and, and wavering, but when you think about guys like Melo Dotson or Kobe Bryant, those could still be up in the air, right? Those sure. those are guys that really took their time making a decision if they wanted to come back to Kansas in the first place. And now you have a, a you know their primary position coach departing the program, does that sort of shake up the equation of what they were thinking when they decided to come back? Those, I think, I would keep more of an eye on the players on the team, not so much the the, right. the recruits coming in. Well, here's, I would pay more here's some of those, those tweets
0: things. that came out from you had uh, Carson Brune, who he already had Andy Koralnicki, who was the tight end position coach, he was committed. And he, he quote tweeted this on, I think it was Deshaun Warner who tweeted like a heartbreak emoji. Yeah. He, quoted, he said, I was in the same place at one point. Remember, one coach is not the reason you committed to KU football. Stick it out and always trust God's plan, Rock Chalk. Carson, Burn, obviously the, the tight end. Right, with Kodolniky uh, yeah. Isaiah Marshall tweeted this out. The quarterback who, I mean, this is part of the quarterback's job, be the leader, right? Same team, same goal, hashtag CFP. Ain't no switching up. We good, Rock Chalk, right? Yeah. So there's that. Then you, you mentioned the Andre Gibson thing, him tweeting locked in with with that picture of everybody. Um, a couple of the other, those players like commented it or quote tweeted it with like an emoji or something, uh, including Deshaun Warner And Deshaun Warner also posted yesterday a post of him, like, basically photoshopped in a KU uniform, and it said, loyalty over everything, love you, Jayhawk Nation. So, you're right. I I think this is less about the current guys. It seems like KU's staff has done a great job. And I I think that goes back in line. What did we hear a lot of about KU recruiting? It's that they would encourage parents and players to ask every coach they encountered about the messaging and that sort of thing. And it's always been uniform and consistent for KU. And what does that do? That means that you're able to, basically, when you lose someone, you're able to plug it back up rather consistently because everybody else has the same message where you can be like, hey, we're still the same, right? One piece is gone. We're still the same. And I think that's helpful here. You are right that it will affect future recruiting for the class of you know 2025 and 2026. You'd love to have another good recruiter there, obviously. But I, I think that's spot on. I think what's scary specifically about him going to Texas A&M to the same idea that he's probably going to get a lot of money to go to Texas a m what does Texas a have? NIL money. A lot of it, right? <laughs> and so if you're Kobe Bryant or Melo Dotson, there's two ways of viewing this. Like, maybe, you know, what if this galvanizes the KUDB room and they're like, what the heck, man? Why did this guy leave now? Like, I, I almost feel like, I, I don't know, maybe this is the wrong way of looking at it because I, I would understand as, as somebody who, if I was, like, friends with someone or whatever – if they left for a job at their alma mater and they were getting more money, like you understand that from a personal level? Yeah. What absolutely. would bother me if I was in the KU corner or safety room is the whole idea of you got promoted to co-DC before this offseason. You could have left for Texas AM at the beginning before you accepted that, right? And to where once you accepted that, there probably was a level of built-in trust that, like, you're going to be my guy this year. For sure. And I could understand that little bit of, so what if the room views it as, like, you're being disloyal, you're leaving, you're, again, it's one thing if he leaves for a head coaching job. It's one thing if he leaves for a, a full-time defense coordinator job. It's uh, one thing if he leaves for the Texas A&M job when it first came up in, like, the beginning of December. It's another to leave now. What if it galvanizes them and they're like, no, screw that. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm staying here. I don't know what this is about. Kobe Bryant tweeted out, bet. You know, bet that, yeah. that's kind of the new age saying of like, okay, like, uh, yeah, with a okay. hundred emoji. Mm. So you want to play some reckless speculation? I think mm. that's basically him saying, yeah, screw you. We're going to get this done. But Maybe. going back to the Texas A M thing, if Jordan Peterson's like, hey, I just coached you. <laughs> I enjoyed coaching you. Seems like you enjoyed me coaching you. you also, to get a big here's, yeah,
1: also, here's a giant NIL bag. There's a
0: huge NIL bag that KU can't match. Yeah. So that's the scare as a part of all of this absolutely. It 100% is. But because KU still has Lance Leipold and they still have all these great things, you know, there is a certain level of, I don't know, like, I guess the grass ain't always greener on the other side. Sure. If you're a player. And I know not every player views it that way. And sometimes you get third parties involved, whether it's parents or guardians or, you know, agents get involved and, and they help kids make, make poor decisions that are maybe short-term decisions that hurt them a bit in the long term. So you never know what is going to happen here, but it seems like KU is doing everything in their power to cover their bases here for what my money, Jordan Peterson could be your biggest loss of the offseason. If you maintain everybody, whether it's the freshmen or the DBs you currently have, I would argue that Austin Booker would be the biggest loss of the offseason, but because right now it is a bit of a question of how that's going to affect things. Probably Jordan Peterson, even above Andy Kolonicki, which is crazy to say. Yeah. With how much he's been viewed as the offensive coordinator, just it has so much personnel uh, impact to it. So we'll see, and we'll see if KU can continue to establish a pipeline yeah, in I, Arizona moving forward. I do think uh, what you said there at the end is probably true. I think this is probably
1: a bigger loss than the loss of Andy Kolnicky, truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, you've brought in a guy and Jeff Grimes, that offensive coordinator, that you feel like is in a good position to continue to carry the offense. You've obviously got enough skill position players there that you feel like you can withstand that. With Jordan Peterson, it's kind of up in the air, right? Because if you do end up losing, if, it, if this is a ripple effect where you do end up losing a Kobe Bryant or Melo Dotson or you end up losing you know, a, a commitment possibly or something like that, it's it hurts a lot more. It stings a lot more. Uh, so I, I would tend to agree. I think that might be the biggest loss for Kansas. And, and again, well, like I said earlier in the segment, it's probably not going to be the first loss. For, for a position coach. Maybe I mean maybe this season this offseason it might be, but going forward again, the more success Kansas has and when you're at this level, the power two power th- whatever whatever the hell you want to call it. Yeah. This level of college uh, of athletics. And guys are being, you know, there's this level amount of money being thrown around and there's this level amount of, you know, hey, if you want to try to climb the ladder, you can do it in, you know, X, Y, and Z. There's probably going to be more guys from Kansas that are potentially lured away. To, to other jobs. And for Lance Leipold, who really seems to pride himself on maintaining that level of guys sticking around, of
0: keeping continuity within the staff, what's the what's the response to that? For sure. All right, let's take a timeout. Chiefs took down the Bills again in the postseason last night. Patrick Mahomes is pretty good. Let's uh, recap the game coming up on the other side. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN, Depend on it. That your step. Kansas City Chiefs did the thing. They beat the Buffalo Bills again in the playoffs. Ooh. Man, Bills got to hate the Chiefs at this point. <laughs> I mean, there are so many like similarities between, I think, the cities. And uh, for the longest time, until Patrick Mahomes, the lack of postseason success between the teams. But Patrick Mahomes just obviously taken things to a whole nother level that has been, unbelievable because he has now gone six straight six straight there's not AFC been a season the Patrick Holmes has not been in an AFC title game Tom Brady holds the record for most consecutive yeah AFC or or whatever just championship game appearances in a row he has eight of them Patrick Holmes has already ripped off six in a row yep. to begin his career it is absolutely unbelievable and the last AFC championship that did not feature at least one of Patrick Mahomes Tom Brady Ben Roethlisberger or Peyton Manning you have to go all the way back to 2003 when Damn. the Raiders played the Titans over 20 what years ago. What a crappy AFC title game. Raiders-Titans? <laughs> At the time, it was good. Titans went to the Super Bowl in uh, 99. Raiders obviously lost the Super Bowl that year by a lot to the Buccaneers. That sucks, Raiders. I think that's the last time the Raiders have won a playoff game. I could be wrong with that. Uh, yeah, you might be right. Well, so they went, they went to the playoffs in 21, but they lost to the Bengals. Right. And the Bengals beat the Chiefs. So, I mean, it's it's unbelievable what Patrick Holmes has done, and I'm so happy we don't have to hear the dumb from the national media road playoff narrative. <laughs> that thing will never get started. I guess hypothetically it could get started. They lose at Baltimore, and then next year they lose on the road in one game, and they're like, oh, he's only one and two on the road. But yeah. for now, it quiets and it, it prevents anybody from being like, well, he's never done it on the road in the playoffs before. Like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You went yeah. into a hostile environment at Buffalo against a good Bills team who was red hot coming into the game. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the performance he put up—you look at the, the EPA per play and the QBR and some of the quarterback metrics off the charts game for Mahomes. And there were a few throws—I mean, just in general— it's almost impossible to hit every single throw in a game. There's going to be misses, even sure. from the greats, especially when you have cold environment yeah. with a lot of wind. He did miss against Kelsey. He missed. At one point. He missed. Uh, that it was. It was both those plays uh, on, on the goal line. He missed Kelsey on one corner, and then he missed MVS in the other. Right. Yeah. But outside of that, he was pinpoint. He, he had some unbelievable throws that he had. Yep. The receivers were actually catching the ball. How about MVS? What's up with yeah. that? Yeah. Just going from, like, the worst receiver ever no, that, in the regular no, season that's to- what I want to talk
1: about. You know, all season long, <laughs> oh, the Chiefs offense is broken. Chiefs suck. Chiefs offense stinks. Chiefs offense can't do this. Chiefs offense can't do that. Wide receivers are bad. They just went out and put on an absolute master class. Whereas the really Bills did. had, like, five drops. In 43 plays, the Chiefs scored 27 points. You mentioned the EPA per play. It was, like, 98th percentile or whatever from a uh, it, it was it was incredible. Pacheco was awesome. Travis Kelsey was awesome. Rushy Rice, when they got on the ball, was, was awesome. MVS made two of the biggest catches of his career in the game. Uh, it was incredible. Mahomes was great. No sacks. The offensive line did its job. It was a really, really very, very well, very, very impressively crafted game script uh, yeah. for the Chiefs on offense. There was only two plays. Two plays that, that they both have an they both happen to occur in the red zone. Two plays for the Chiefs offense that was like, what? The first, of course, obviously was McCall Hardman. Mm-hmm. You just had a twenty yard run for Pacheco to get you down there, and you're gonna run some BS. I knew it was gonna happen though. I this I knew it. They didn't even have to break the huddle. I was like, some BS is about to happen. And sure enough, they break the huddle. Rashi Rice is in the backfield. I'm like, oh gee, what what do we do? And then they run the stupid end around of McCall Hardman. And Michael Hardman then fumbles. I thought his cheek was down. Clearly, I was wrong. <laughs> okay, but anyways, so they have that play. The other play that drove me insane in the red zone for the Chiefs was similarly. They had like a nice six yard play on first down. It was second and four, or whatever. And they go to they they, they decide to run a screen pass to Clyde, but it, it was pointed out by Rome on the broadcast. Something was not right. The offensive line went to block on the screen going the other way, yeah.
0: and then there's Clyde, and Mahomes throws it to him, and it, you lose yards, and they end up kicking Somebody, one of the units messed it up. It's a lot easier to think Clyde messed yeah, it up. Yeah, it's very easy to just blame it on Clyde. five guys going to the right, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's easy to just say, well, blame it on Clyde. But Clyde did have but, a good game. Yeah, what I don't one understand run, yes. is, if
1: that's the case, why did Mahomes even throw it to him? Just throw that's it in the what dirt. That's what I was wondering, too. That's yeah. what he's so good at. Maybe he was like, yeah, maybe maybe he knows so something. The you know? thing <laughs> is, is it was a, as I said, it was a very, very impressive game for the Chiefs offense. By far their best offensive game of the season in, in totality. And yet they had two plays that still cost them 14 points. I mean, I'm not saying they would have
0: scored in the red zone with the Clyde play, but they certainly, I think, would have scored with, with the Michael Harden. Well, I do situation. think that's a little funny that this was pretty clearly one of the Chiefs' best games for the receiving core because of MVS made a couple good catches. Travis Kelsey looked like... More prime Travis Kelsey, right? I told you he was gonna. Or I guess I didn't tell you because we weren't here. But I was yeah. saying that he was gonna. He
1: was gonna find something.
0: Um, you had, uh, Rashi Rice continue to make plays for you on the outside, and even then, you still had like receivers making detrimental plays because of the McCole Hardman ones. Um, you had Justin Watson drop that pass on the third down before you kicked the first field goal of the game. Yeah, uh, that would a big play. A it would have been a catch. tough catch. It would have been. Yeah, would have been for sure. Yeah, but still, ones that you hope to make in the playoffs. And you had those specifically, and, and still you were able to win the game. And, I mean, Josh Allen, it was a weird game for Josh Allen because he was very efficient. He did not have the typical Josh Allen turnovers. He well, almost he did. I he mean, almost did with the fumble. I could have done what Josh Allen did. For yeah, I mean, there was a the lot game. of running the ball. Was, well, I mean, part of the credit. HB Dive. I see H-P what you're saying. H-P but, dive. like, you got to give him some credit because he made a lot of those runs himself. No, it I wasn't do. Just no, the I know. Running. no, I know. No, I know. Listen. And, and I like some to, of the key third down like and to, longs. I like to crap on Josh Allen a lot and
1: say that you know he's not going to super bowl and all that, but you no, know, yeah, he did. But like, he, I mean, had, he what, had a like great a third game. Third
0: in seventeen that they converted uh, to open the game. Up, well, they made that it should a not have one, happened. Shouldn't have, but it, they did. I don't know why. I mean, Andy it was clearly a forward down, pass, right? Uh, they had the like. I don't, third don't know where and Andy Reid's red flag was. Yeah, later in the game they converted, and then they also had the third down and goal from the four. They had the touchdown. Yeah, so like he did. Josh Allen objectively had a great game. He did, and yet
1: Patrick Mahomes was better. Was still better. Yes. And I know there are some people in the national media <laughs> skip Bayless <laughs> who want to go out and say, Well, Josh Allen was just way better. <laughs> Whatever, bro. I don't ca- I mean, dude, what I mean what is the guy gotta do, Mahomes? For uh, I don't I don't get it. He's got a six rate AC title like we just talked about. You just 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 say that Mahomes was good and he was better. Move on with your life. Josh Allen had a great game, wasn't good enough. Sorry. L. See ya. See you never. I mean, seriously. that that And wh- and honestly, what ticked me off is it seemed like the CBS broadcast, if you were watching it there, I felt that there was some pretty
0: significant bias towards the Bills. But that's just me. Okay. That's just me. I didn't that's get that. That's how I felt. But I also, I can understand the point of view from Tony Romo. I just think Tony Romo started to get annoying to me. So yes. I can understand why that would get twisted into feeling that way. Um, yes. So I understand that. But I- listen, I get it. I mean- this was sort of like a team of destiny moment
1: for the Bills, sure, right? You finally at home. You're gonna slay the big bad villain, the big the bad Kansas City, City Chiefs. Chiefs. The Chiefs are down. They're not as good. You've got the you've got the beast cornered. Now all you have to do is, you is, finally is, get is take him down. In the playoffs, yes.
0: And then <laughs> you lose because you're just not good enough. Yeah. Sorry. But, yeah, I mean, so many of the Chiefs' skill players really did step up. Isaiah Pacheco, I think when you look at the last two postseasons, having that physical runner in cold-weather games is so important. Having that hammer runner, he was excellent. And it could have been even more if they stopped giving it to McCall Hardman and was just like, hey, let's let Pacheco grind it out. I will say, with with the Hardman stuff, I don't understand. Like, there is a part of me that if the Chiefs lose this game – you know, obviously when when teams lose, we start to scapegoat things. And and the immediate things of what we would have mentioned was the Chiefs' inability to stop the run at least in the first half. Second half it got much better. Um the lack of defensive line pressure, that was a little worrisome to me. I don't know what Christian. Although with Chris the Jones. defensive line pressure saved the game.
1: Yeah, at the end, sure. Yeah, there it was it was like it was a second and 9 Josh Allen has Kalishka
0: wide open in the back of the end Chris zone. Jones. Chris Jones pushes his tackle into Josh yeah. Allen, and it affects the throw just enough to where he misses. Yeah, and Jones also did have the bat down on the one goal-to-go situation that held him to a field goal, right? Yeah. So, well, now, I mean, the bat moments. down might be a little too much credit. It basically yeah, hit Yeah, in into him. That's fair. Th- That's fair. That's fair. But, yeah, overall of lack of D-line pressure. That would have been a dumb fumble luck. Like, the B- Bills fumbled three times, and the Chiefs didn't get any of them, especially yeah. the last one. I don't know why the guy didn't just fall on it. He tried to scoop it for the Chiefs. Nonetheless... Yeah. um. McCole Hardman would have been on here too, but for my money, I don't know that that was a. I mean, Andy Reid always has a big role in terms of the offensive game plan, and it's always sure. great. That was a really bad game management game for Andy Reid, and they survived it. And I think that does bear pointing out because, well, listen, when I you want to run, sure challenged the one play, right? You, yes. So that that led to three points right there. You had. McCole Hardman, the run on the goal to go on, on your first drive of the game, that ends up being a field goal, which what if it like to have another shot at it with Patrick Mahomes or just run it to Isaiah Pacheco. And the fumble at the end, I mean, that, that legitimately almost costs you the game. If you yeah. just get a touchdown there and don't give it to McCole Hardman, game's over. The game's out, out of reach. It's a 10-point game with whatever game's it was, over. like eight minutes, six minutes ago.
1: Game's over, yeah. Well, no, That listen, this is what you get with Andy Reid. If you want to praise him for the cute crap, the stupid ring around the rosy play, the snow globe that they ran, and you know all the other crap. Then sometimes you're going to get some actual literal crap, mm-hmm. which is what you got in this case with Michael Hardman, where you, you just you kind of yeah you, know, you get too cute with it, right? And that's always that's always been that's always been a knock on Andy Reid, I think, especially in recent years, where you take the ball out of Mahomes' hands, you take the ball out of whoever you know, whatever, right? And it's a knock, certainly. But at the end of the day, you win. So sure. who cares? All's well that ends well, right? That's how it goes. Absolutely, yeah. I do feel bad for Bills fans a little bit. Well, I was I was feeling bad until they were throwing snowballs after the game. Then I felt less bad. Uh, so there was also a play that's where right. MVS was in the end zone and <laughs> the snowball hit him. Like yeah. literally hit him. I don't really understand how that's not a penalty.
0: Should, yeah. So well, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. That I don't you know. I feel it. bad
1: for the Bills because they. I do. Josh Allen played great. They ran the ball very very well for two hundred almost two hundred yards.
0: Well, and, and to lose uh, like that, like, enough. honestly, if I were a Bills fan today, I would have rather they just lost on the, the fumble. Um, like, Josh Allen throwing a pick. Well, no, I, I mean that, too. If But, like, think about it. You can understand a little bit more. If, if the Chiefs would have just picked up the fumble that he had that, that ended up, you know, being picked up by the Bills, yeah. that would be more understandable because it's like, oh, we've been turnover-prone all year long. Or, or Josh Allen is just turnover-prone in general, except when he plays sure. the Chiefs for some reason. Um. That's a brutal way to lose on. Or you would have you would have felt better if you made the field goal and then Patrick Mahomes went down and kicked a field goal. Which is what would have happened, by the way. <laughs> There's a good chance. There is. So, I, there's no doubt in my mind that the, if they, if even if they make the field goal, the Chiefs go down and win. Well, especially the way the Chiefs' offensive line, who had a great game, I mean, especially the interior, Joe Tooney, who hurt at he's, some point. he's hurt, so that's going to be a little scary strained, for Baltimore. Strained pectoral, you but know what that is? Strained peck? I don't. That's in your like arm somewhere, right? It's arm, chest like area, shoulder. Yeah, I'm not like really that. sure. To be Maybe I strained my peck when I fell. Dude, in the I got like a. Today.
1: I got. I barely passed my seventh grade anatomy
0: class. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I don't know where that is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Tooney and, and Trey Smith give up zero pressures combined. I think Smith had an up-and-down regular season. He's been nails so far in the postseason. That interior line's been great, and they've just been excellent. And so I think everybody was a little bit of uh, Jason Kelsey, you know, ripping your shirt off, shouting. Yeah, but by the way,
1: on that, if you're happy about that or fine with seeing that but not fine with having to see Taylor Swift, you're part of the problem. Mm. I'll just say that. I don't have a problem with either. It's fun. It's entertainment. Exactly. That's what sports should be. It should be, yes. Whatever adds
0: to the broadcast. So if you have a problem seeing Taylor Swift, but you don't have a problem seeing Travis Kelsey, Mm -hmm. take a look in the mirror, bud. All right, real quick, playing Baltimore in the AFC Championship, based on what happened in this game, which of these three things are you most concerned about headed into Sunday? The Chiefs' run defense, giving up a lot of of, especially QB scrambles to Josh Allen. Here comes Lamar Jackson, who just had 100 rushing yards. That depends on the status of Willie Gay, actually. All right, hold on. Uh, Number two, the Chiefs' lack of pass rush. Or three, the Joe Tooney injury. Which of those three concerns you the most?
1: Uh, I guess the run defense, but also like, I know people will jump on that and say the run defense was bad for the Chiefs. It, it seemed it became pretty clear to me in the second half that that was the Chiefs' game plan. The Chiefs' game plan was we're gonna we're gonna not let the Bills take the top off the defense, and we're just gonna make them methodically go down the field. Bills had zero plays of twenty yards. Chiefs had eight. Bills had zero zero plays twenty yards throughout the whole game. Pretty wild. So even though it looks it's it it looks tough when you look at the box score and while you're watching, it, you're like, oh my gosh, they're just getting gashed on the ground. It became pretty clear to me late in the game that that was by design. The Chiefs were seemingly very fine with that. That's that was their strategy defensively. It seemed like they wanted to play soft. They wanted to not let any big plays get by them, and they did, and they won the game. So even though the Bills end up running for 190 yards, or whatever, Josh Allen has a good game. James Cook runs around. The Chiefs
0: win the game, and the strategy that they used, they it, it worked. Yeah, and the Bills were a good running team all year long. James Cook finished fourth in rushing yards this year. Josh Allen's a good runner. Bills as a team finished seventh in rushing yards per game in the NFL. But guess what? Guess who's first? Baltimore Ravens. Not and concerned. the margin from them to second is pretty wide, too. Not concerned. Okay. That's my concern. Uh, that's my biggest concern. All right. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. NFL Monday overreactions next. You're listening to RCST on at KLWN. Depend on it. 5 o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Derek Johnson back with you. Nick Springer with me on another edition of the show. We got KU Cincinnati tonight, Pre-game 6.30. Tip-off 8 o'clock for the Jayhawks and the Bearcats. Big Monday in Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence. So I know we talked about this last season. Mm-hmm. Big Monday implies the existence of Little Monday. You're sure? Does Little Monday, like just whatever game is happening in the SoCon tonight, yeah, I think Little Monday is is the games that people don't really care as much. today. like this is Little Monday. We got Queens, New York, which is not a D one team against Maryland Eastern. Oh, wait, Maryland Eastern twelfth. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's Little Monday. That's Little Monday yeah. for sure. I'm fine with that. Yeah. What's another? the ESPN. They should do a. Oh, oh this should... is Little Monday too. <laughs> Florida A and M, who is two and thirteen, is playing at Mississippi Valley State, who's zero and eighteen. See, so a collective see, two and thirty one. Here's a
1: genius head marketing idea for ESPN. Mm-hmm. They should go to one of these bad games. Do the worst of the week. Yes. And have it be Little Monday. So you have Big Monday on ESPN, and then you do Little
0: Monday like on ESPN 2 or whatever, and it's just your it's the other game. Give the little guys little Monday. Publish. Yeah, I like that. So KU takes on Cincinnati, and the question we always ask with our game previews, how important is this game? I mean...
1: You fall into a trap, I think, in Big Twelve play of just being of just saying yeah, the next game. game is the most important game. This game is but, certainly
0: a lot more important than it was. before oh, yeah. the season started
1: absolutely. Considering the loss to West Virginia, yeah, you can't be losing at home. Uh, this is the, this is a situation where you can make the argument about is a quick turnaround good or bad in this case, right? Is it good in the sense that you can just get out and play again and forget about the West Virginia game, or is it bad in that maybe? The taste of that game is still in your mouth, and you go out and play against Cincinnati, and you struggle, right? So, yeah, but it becomes obviously very, very, very important because under Bill Self, you don't Kansas doesn't lose multiple games consecutively in Big Twelve play hardly ever. I know it happened last year, but it doesn't happen really beyond beyond that. So you, you don't want that to happen, and if you lose this game, your Big Twelve title chances might be might be sunk i don't know i don't know jim i don't know
0: (laughs) so there's that also yeah it would certainly be detrimental to that i think uh like at the end of the day if you had to choose between making a final four and finishing third in the big 12 or winning the big 12 and losing in the sweet 16 you're taking the final four route correct yeah so, like, this doesn't discount from that, so it's not a 10 out of 10. But no. you're starting to get closer to hitting the panic button with those two losses. <laughs> and if you lose this one, you're going to feel like you hit it. So, I, I do think this yeah. is like an 8. Because,
1: I mean, what's the main what, – let, let me ask you this. What's the main reason why you haven't hit the panic button with the two losses? They've both been on the road. Sure. So, even though it's been concerning and you're like, wow, this
0: sucks. And positive steps with Furphy in the starting lineup. and but you lose at home yeah. and all of a sudden it's – Bad. Yeah, because you're right. When you're at home, you feel like you have an armor around you. Yes. And you already feel like, okay, when you're on the road, you're a little naked. Sure. You lose at home, it's going to feel like there's no protection for KU at this point. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, that would not be great. Now, as far as the Cincinnati scouting report, they are 33rd on Ken Palm. They've been a much better defense than they are offense. They're a top 25 defense there. Uh, only 68th on the offensive end of the floor. They are a really good rebounding team at both ends. Top 20. 18th in offensive rebound rate, seventh in defensive rebound rate. Though both those numbers down a little bit in conference play. And uh, when you look at what they do offensively, they haven't really turned the ball over a ton. They haven't been a good shooting team, though. I'm I'm skeptical saying that because it feels like every game we go into, and I'm like, they're not a good shooting team, and then yeah. they shoot like 40 percent from three. Yeah, for so or 60%, do without what you will, 60 percent. Yeah, them. and then the Cincinnati defense, though. That's that's what. It's the rebounding and the defense that that makes their mark. Defensively, good shot blocking team, good two point defense team. They don't foul much. They've they've so far on the season not been a good turnover team, but in conference only games, they have been a good turnover forcing team. Just a good defense and one that plays athletic, physical. They are deep. They'll play a lot of bodies. They'll play a lot of wings. They'll play some two big basketball. It's a good basketball team that started two and three in Big Twelve play, where even their three losses are by six point or four points or less so far in Big Twelve play. So certainly a challenge tonight. I think a little bit more than I would have thought before the season started that you were getting with Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, I mean they went on the road and beat BYU by eleven. Uh, they lose a close game against Baylor at home or on the road. They lose a close game against Texas at home. They beat TCU, which obviously that was a team that took Kansas to the wire in Allen Fieldhouse, uh, and then they lose another close game against Oklahoma. In conference play, they've been pretty average offensively. It's been the defense like you alluded to uh, with, with the offense. They, nothing that really completely scares you, I would say, overall with their offense. They they do s- spread the wealth in terms of scoring pretty well. Got mm-hmm. three guys scoring double figures, but then they've got two more guys that are scoring nine and a half points per game. So they basically have almost five guys scoring double figures. Uh, so they, they can spread the ball around a little bit, and and that is probably a big bonus for them. Uh, as, as you alluded to, in terms of three-point shooting, not that great, really, overall. Um, the Simus Lukosius, I think is how you say that? Yes. Guy? Lukosius guy, he's the best three-point Transfer shooter. from Butler.
0: He's just a good shooter all around.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, so he's the guy to probably keep an eye on from the perimeter. Uh, and they have a couple names that might be familiar to KU fans. They have uh, Jamil Reynolds, who mm. doesn't play that much for them. And then they have uh, Aziz Bandigo or Bandogo, another guy I'm not He was at Utah Valley. Uh, Utah Valley, who that that was the guy that you were pining for at one point. Uh, You wanted him to come to Kansas. Well,
0: I said that he would have been a good pickup if he wants, but I I doubt he wanted to come to Kansas to be the backup center to Hunter Dickinson. Probably not,
1: because at Cincinnati he's playing 23 minutes a
0: game. Right. He's a good shot blocker, good rebounder. Good rim runner. Reynolds is more of the gigantic center, 275 pounds with good touch. Yeah. And then they will play some of the Victor Lakin guy who's their four. I think he's their best player. He'll play the five and the four. He'll play the four when they want to play big. He'll play the five when they want to play small. He can shoot it a little bit. Good passer, solid rebounder, solid scorer. Uh they do get good production scoring-wise at the point guard spot. So maybe big game for Dewan Harris defense because Day Day uh Thomas with both their point guards, I think we're on our top ten names list for the Big Twelve. Day Day, and yep. then Jizzle, Jizzle James. The two Day Day yep. Thomas and Jizzle James are combining, averaging eighteen points per game at the point guard spot. Yeah, so they get some points there. Yeah, and something to keep an eye on with Bandigo is we've
1: kind of touched on the uh, the fact the idea that there are not very many Big Twelve teams that are going to have a guy that can match up one on one with Hunter Dickinson. Cincinnati is one of those teams with with Bandigo, right? You feel like he could probably hold his own one on one against against Dickinson, uh, certainly at the defensive end. Now, in terms of offense, Bandigo, I don't expect him to do too much, but uh, the, on the defensive end, you think he would have a good chance to match up one on one against Dickinson? Which I, I don't know. I mean, if if you have a guy that can go one on one against Dickinson, you don't have to double right away on defense. That probably helps you as a defense overall in terms of guarding everything else that Ku wants to do. So that could be something to keep an eye on. Sure.
0: Now, uh, when when you look at what Cincinnati does well overall, whether it's a player matchup or a specific player or something they do with the team, what scares you most about them overall in tonight's game? Well, I mean, prior to the West Virginia game, this wouldn't have been,
1: I mean, it would have been something to keep an eye on, but it wouldn't have been maybe necessarily like red alarm concern, but rebounding, Mm. right? This is a top 20 rebounding team at
0: both ends of the floor.
1: And Kansas is coming off literally their worst quarterback performance of the season against a team that was without their starting center.
0: And that's how Cincinnati scores a lot. They are getting 15.9 second chance points per game. That's in the 99th percentile of the country. Yeah, so that is by far
1: the thing that concerns you the most. And I'm curious because if they do play, want to play like two big basketball, does Kansas counter by bringing in Parker Brown as like a, maybe a four? Or do they just say, K.J. Adams, go do your thing, right? I, I, don't, I don't know. Probably I would think the latter based off of what we've seen so far, uh, considering the most amount of minutes Parker Brown has played in a single game has been, like, seven. So I would think it's just going to be K.J. Adams. They're just going to try to match it up. But, uh, yeah, that's got to be the biggest concern. That's got to be red alarms at this point is is the the rebounding and what that could mean in the game because Kansas is coming off their worst performance in that area.
0: Yeah. For me, I, I, I would also echo that, though. I, I do think it's peculiar that Cincinnati in conference-only games is – Seventh in offensive rebounding rate, eighth in defensive rebounding rate. So th- those numbers have dropped a little bit there. Um, I think for me, it's it's what if they cut you off on the inside? You know, so far this season, they are 61st in the country in block rate. They are 54th in the country in two-point defense, only 46.6% allowed on two-point shots. And they do it by preventing shots at the rim. They've done a good job of limiting the amount of shots at the rim that they face, which means they do a good job of preventing teams from even getting off those looks. And then when they do, they're only shooting 58%, which by counter, KU is shooting over 70% on at-the-rim looks on offense. So if they take away one of KU's strengths and make it more pedestrian, can Kansas beat them? In other ways, can Kansas find other ways to score? Can they find other ways to win a basketball game? I think that becomes very interesting in this one. Yeah, uh, be-
1: listen, Cincinnati—that's th- not exactly a sexy team, no. uh, in terms of like the opponent. Uh, now I'm sure Kansas will have their full attention after the loss to West Virginia, but the point being that you know this is not Iowa State rolling in Allen. This is not you know Kansas State. You know this Cincinnati—not exactly as sexy of a-, of a of a team to go up against, but. If you're Kansas, you still want to be turned up, especially after the loss of West Virginia.
0: Yes, so I, I think the other thing I would mention is that Cincinnati's a deeper team. Kansas is not. Now, it, it might not matter in the end if Kansas starters are playing well, but you do wonder about you know could depth be a difference in a game like this where you're playing your, your second game in three days? Um, where do you think KU has the biggest edge? I think it's got to be Kevin
1: McCuller with his play. Uh, you mentioned with Cincinnati, you look at they they have some pretty decent size, but in terms of their kind of I guess two and three, for lack of better term, for guys playing at those positions. not Maybe not as strong, especially defensively. Feels like this should be a game where Kevin McCuller, and by extension, maybe Johnny Furphy uh, can can take advantage, right? You want to talk about the rebounding for KU, and and maybe Cincinnati doesn't want to play big. Well, if if Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams are boxing out their guys, maybe that frees up Johnny Furphy for more opportunities on the offensive glass to, to create for, for Kansas as well. So I think that's the area where KU probably has the biggest advantage, and with Kevin McCuller, I've just... I can't rave about Kevin McCuller anymore. I mean, he's just—he he, just—he's been—he's been perfect. He's been perfect. I mean, obviously that's hy- that's hy- hyperbolic, but I don't—I mean, in terms of what you've gotten from him coming back this season, you've got to be absolutely over the moon about what mm-hmm. he's done so far. And I think he will be an advantage.
0: I would say KU has the cleaner offense, but again, I'm worried that just like there's going to be some curse and they're going to, you know, just shoot really well from overall or, or from three or something like that again. But who entirely knows? I, I do think KU does have have more offensive options that they can go to. Uh, I also think that KU has the better opportunities to be a turnover team in this game uh, specifically. And... I, I also think that KU has a bit of an advantage on the wing, even though Cincinnati has a couple good players. I think, yeah, Kevin should be able to go off in, in some of those areas. And uh, when you look at the, I guess, point guard matchup, that is nice that Cincinnati gets a lot of point production from the point guard, and you feel like you have a good defender there if you get good DeWan Harris tonight. So those would be the areas I would look to. All right, let's get to our KU game picks. Rock Chalk, Pickahawk coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on at KLWN. We're going to have your Kansas-Cincinnati game on the airwaves tonight. At 6.30 is when pregame begins. Tip-off will be at 8 o'clock between the Jayhawks and the Bearcats. And uh, you can hear that here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Yes. So, Do you think Travis Kelsey will be in attendance? Oh. Um, and therefore Taylor Swift? Taylor Swift loves Lawrence. I think. I uh, excuse. I don't know. I
1: I would suspect that that Travis is probably smart enough to know that if he wants to go to the game, probably shouldn't bring Taylor Swift with him. There's no sweet options. I mean, it would just be, yeah, it'd be chaos. It would be literally. It would be. I mean, it would be World War III. Because you can't be private. Exactly. There's right. nowhere to sit where it's like you're boxed off from the masses.
0: Also, I just wonder if, I, I mean, this is, because he came to a game last year. He I did. can't remember who they yeah. played against. Was it Kansas State, maybe? It was the Kansas-Kansas uh, Kansas State I game. Know, I think I that remember. No, it was. It was because K-State fans were getting mad about it on, on social oh, media, okay. I'm pretty yeah. sure. I'm, wow. Shocking. Well, actually, they—I don't know. Maybe it wasn't the K State game. they were probably just. Either mad. way, K State yeah. fans were getting mad about just it, just which is kind of funny because they were like, "He's not even a KU grad or whatever." You know, whatever. Yeah. Should that be a segment? What are K State fans mad about today? No. Uh, you can do a segment on it every day if you want. Point being, that game was after the season. Yeah. And so I know, like, the whole idea of whenever you you like see. You know, pro athlete like out at dinner or something, and you'll see somebody know. comment and be like, "Why aren't you?"
1: I don't no, this, the- this dude was hosting Saturday Night Live
0: mid-season. No, that was at the end of the year. That was after they
1: won the one. But he Super was World.
0: at Saturday Night Live also after he was like, earlier this okay. year. I don't know. With Taylor like Boyce. they, they are. You can't just do work a hundred percent of the time. So, like, could it be oh, a good reprieve? Absolutely. But 100%. I could also see him just kind of bearing down for that. I don't know. Either way, it kind of interesting. Okay, yeah. Rock Shark, it'd be, Hawk.
1: It'd be more likely if Travis comes to the game. It'd be more likely that he comes with Jason. I
0: think. I can see that. And kids. then he takes his shirt off when they show him on the... the that camp. was awesome. That was... Okay. Rock, Chuck, Pickahawk. You are just 7-14, and 14, my friend. 7-12. and 12. I mean... No, this is I, rough. I don't know things if Things have gotten though. out of hand.
1: I don't know if you remember, though. Last year, this is kind of what happened. You too. did? If you remember right. Last year, I was down maybe five or six games also, and I made a huge comeback. Mm-hmm.
0: And ultimately, I ended up winning, by the way. I'm the Pickahawk champion. Don't forget that. <laughs> me you did you won on the the very last game it was it was tied going into the yep NCAA big 12 tournament. Or, did we do NCAA tournament actually whatever it was I, I just think know it was, it was tied and you won the last yeah I think it was big 12 tournament. thing okay yeah yeah so well, how does, does think come deal, back again that you're a loser uh, just barely I mean'm I'm, I'm killing you right now we'll see we'll see a lot of ball left all right that, so a reminder you get a point for every point they score two points for every rebound and assist three points for blocks and steals and you lose one point for every minute that your player plays so, were you keeping track of who goes first? I was. You actually okay. are going first this time. Oh, okay. Nice.
1: I mean, I got to go with Hunter Dickinson. He's just... There's it's just, there's too much value there. Uh, he's just too good. I mean, Kevin is good, too, who I'm sure you're going to pick, but uh, there's just too much with Hunter Dickinson. <laughs> so,
0: Kevin and Hunter both have a couple areas they can exploit a little bit on the Cincinnati defense. One thing that is interesting, Cincinnati has done a really good job this year at preventing shots at the rim, and keeping them at a low percentage. Teams only but shooting yeah, like fifty eight percent of the rim. They got uh, the guy that you briefly wanted ben, from, Bendago, uh, Bendago, yeah, however the, you pronounce they it. Go. They got him. They have the guy Jamil Reynolds, who K you actually did have like a visit with. Yeah. Uh that who from came Temple. from Temple, right? Yep. Yep. And then they have the the Victor Lakin guy who play the four and the five. They're a good block team. They're a good two point defense team. They're good at the rim. So maybe it's a tougher game for Hunter Dickinson. But has there been
1: have you seen any team,
0: regardless of how good they are, mm-hmm. actually slow down and stop Hunter Dickinson? That's a good question. I, I don't think it's ever that you stop him. You just, I think it you just make him becomes a little more efficient, right? Yeah, you just make instead him of it Yeah, instead of him going ten of fourteen, he's seven of fourteen. Sure. Which there is a little bit. So I, I think that could be what happened, but Cincinnati does give up a lot of mid range shots, and they do give up a lot of above the break threes, so non corner threes. You know who takes a lot of those for KU? Hunter Dickinson and Kevin McCuller. Hunter Dickinson is yeah. actually leading Kansas in mid-range jump shots right now. Did you know that? <laughs> and he's actually shooting really high Well, I mean, it makes there. sense. I mean, he's a guy 52%. that, you know, he can stretch out a little bit and knock those shots down. Yeah. So... So I, I think he has an avenue there. Kevin McCuller does the same thing. He hasn't been efficient on the mid-range, but he's taken a good amount of them. He has been very efficient. He's leading the team at 2.5 above the break threes per game, and he's shooting them at 37%. So I think both those players go. So you have Hunter. I'm going Kevin McCuller there. The conversation okay. to me becomes what happens at pick number three here. Sure. I was leaning KJ Adams, but honestly, I'm going to go with Johnny Furphy. Mm. One, because I know you wanted to take Furphy, and I, I enjoy preventing you well, from taking Furphy. No, I mean, I'm okay with KJ Adams. Okay. But, I mean, with Furphy... I felt confident with my pick that I was
1: going to get one of those two guys.
0: So. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I wasn't going to go KJ and Furphy. Yeah. So, the thing with Furphy is that he's a good rebounder, and that is very helpful in this. Yeah. Well, like, well, even last year, he I at the end seven. of the game like it's West Virginia. Yeah, I, I, guess I, should, I guess I should clarify this. He puts up rebound numbers. <laughs> he He's a freshman. He is slight of frame. Sure. He's going to get beat on the offensive glass sometimes, which we saw in the West Virginia game. Sure. Ideally, oh, wait, you'd are you, like. Are you skinny shaming? Maybe a little bit. Seeing so you slithering. <laughs> what, what? What is that? Come on. Uh, we, we need to get him on the uh, the KJ Adams diet here. Do you imagine KJ Adams if he had Johnny Furphy's I, well, muscular build? Me, that actually does make me wonder. What? What? What is KJ Adams diet? I mean, how much? That's a good question. How much do you think he has to eat each day? Does he have to eat a lot? You think all protein shakes?
1: Because you know, like you know, you hear a lot about in like the, in like football with offensive lineman and defensive lineman how those dudes eat like mm-hmm. you know a bajillion four thousand calories, calories a day. A day yeah. yeah. What this
0: is is. is, is Wonderful question. Is he in that range? Well cuz you know he likes to cook. So he probably cooks all that stuff himself. He probably he's probably one of those just like really healthy eater like chicken and rice and some green every night and then just lifts Safe, weights and steak and vegetables. Yeah, and just uh, protein shakes and he's yeah. I don't know maybe some of it's genetic dude that yeah. I think I, some of it has to be genetic. I, I mean it has to be. But yeah, get get Johnny Furphy on the KJ Adams diet man, whatever that is uh that would certainly work. But yeah, I mean uh Furphy has put up good rebound totals. I guess the way of putting it which is helpful for Pickahawk. Uh, I also think Cincinnati, when you look at their defense, they've been a good defense overall, but they're best at the rim, and a couple of their wings aren't great defenders. So I think you do have an avenue there, so I'm going with the two wings, Kevin and Johnny. I'll take K.J. Adams. Yep, that's an easy one. You're going to hate this pick. Mm. Parker Brown. No! Give him to me. my guy. Give him to me. You know, I won the game when I picked him. You did. So clearly I just need to pick him more. Well, and so I have I'm, a winning record. I mostly pick him. I'm telling you. He is the glue guy of Rock Chalk. So I'm A-Hop. taking Parker Brown here.
1: He's a guy that is his floor is very, very high. His ceiling is like
0: maybe five points, but that's good enough. That's good. I well, might only play five minutes, so Yeah. I feel like usually Parker Brown's good for like one block, one or two rebounds, and like and then yeah, one or basket. two baskets yeah. on, on like a dunk or like yeah. a wide open layup that, that yeah. he did a good job on a pick and roll or something. Yep. All right, this becomes more difficult cuz I was hoping Parker Brown would be to me. <laughs> Let's go with Nick Timberlake. Uh, I want to think Timberlake too. Yeah, Timberlake just had a good game against West Virginia. And yeah. we've seen this before with Timberlake, it's been a lot of ups and downs, right? There have been some games it's worked and then and it well, hasn't.
1: He he sneakily had 12 points he did. against West Virginia.
0: I didn't I didn't I had to
1: look back at the box score. I didn't realize he had that much.
0: Really good first half. What scares me though is that there's been no rhyme or reason when he's played well before that the next game it hasn't always just been, "Oh, he carried that over." But I do think that was encouraging to see. That, so I'll go Timberlake. There we go. And then I'm going to go... So the question is with Dewan Harris, when he plays 35 minutes in a game, it's just so he, hard he, for him to get the he requisite. Did have five steals. I know, though. and that was helpful.
1: And that certainly boosted his pick-a-hawk score.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, uh, we talked about this earlier in the show, but Dewan Harris ended up uh, getting negative four, which, you know, that... That's not, like, That's not horrible. No, like KJ had negative 13, Parker Brown had negative five last He's game. He's done so like, worse. Exactly. But still, to say he had negative when he had five steals, I don't expect him to have five steals tonight. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go Jamari McDowell. I'm going to do the the low floor pl- or the uh, high, f- well, no. Yeah, high floor, low ceiling play.
1: Okay. Okay. <sighs> so that leaves me with either DeWan Harris or El Marco Jackson, mm-hmm. basically. I think I'm going to go with El Marco Jackson here. Okay. I think. I think I, I like the fact that he's not gonna play as much and maybe that helps mitigate the possible damage he could do to my team and pick a hawk. So give me give me a Marco Jackson.
0: Okay, so that's Rock Chuck Pick a Hawk. You have Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams, Parker Brown, a Marco Jackson. I have yeah. Kevin McCuller, Johnny Furphy, Nick Timberlake, Jamar McDowell. You could have just said that I have the winning team. Mm, you we'll have see. The losing team. You've lost uh two thirds no, of the No, I time. just won I just won uh the Oklahoma State game. Mm. I didn't win this game, this West Virginia. No, but I won not. the game for that. Oklahoma State. Still though. Big picture, not good. All right, RKU game picks. You've tanked a little bit here lately. I have. You're getting closer to 500. You're 26, 22, and one, but still, well, you know, that's it's making money. Because
1: I believe too much in Kansas, honestly.
0: Mm. Yeah, that, that's not helpful in a year where they are, I'm trying to remember what the record is. So they're, they're not what, good 15 and three overall at this point. Yeah, they're not good against the spread, though. And I believe against the spread, they've covered six times, maybe seven. So they're either six and. 12 or seven. I think they're seven and eleven against the spread. So yeah, yeah. that does not help. Yeah. Uh I am 31, 17, and one. Kansas is minus eight against Cincinnati.
1: Jeez. Uh, I mean, jeez. I'll K gonna bounce back. I'll take Kansas.
0: Okay. Easy enough for you. Um, I don't know why this line is as big as it is. Ken Palm has this as a six point game. Okay. That would be Cincinnati covering. When you look at Cincinnati's losses this year, they lost one game by a big margin. 14 points against a really good Dayton team. Outside of that, here are their other four losses. Five points at Xavier, who's a top 35 team. One point home against Texas, who just had a big win this past week against Baylor. Uh, They're kind of a bubble team right now. Three points at Baylor, who's a top 15 team. Four points... At home against Oklahoma this past weekend, yeah. who's a good team. They're top 25. That means they've only lost by more than six points once, and the spread is eight. <laughs> Allen Fieldhouse, baby. Well, and, and on top of it, Cincinnati's the deeper team. Well, okay, let's be honest here. How many points do you think Allen Fieldhouse is worth on its own? I mean, normally they say home. At least They say three home's what, worth like two or three? So Allen Fieldhouse, Fieldhouse, you're bumping four. it up even more probably. So there you go. There you go. That's how you get to eight. I don't know, man. I, I also view it as this is your second game in in three days, and you just had a it long is. travel, one of the longest travels you can have in the Big 12 going to West Virginia. Cincinnati yeah. plays one of the biggest bench minutes in the country. You do not. So I think this is going to be a close, grinded-out game. I like Kansas to win the game okay. and bounce back, but I like Cincinnati to cover. The okay. over-under is 147. Yeah, I'm going to go
1: under on that one. Uh, I think to your point about Kansas playing their, their second game in three days, I wonder if they're going to be as efficient scoring wise. Because, you know, even though they lost the game against West Virginia, the offense shot, they shot the ball well on offense. They actually shot a better percentage from the field than West Virginia did. It's just that West Virginia shot 60% from three, and that was part of the reason why they won. But I wonder if we don't see a little bit less of efficiency from Kansas in this game offensively.
0: Uh, So I'll go with the under here. I, too, am going to go with the under. Cincinnati isn't a slow team; they're about middle-lean tempo, but I could see it kind of being a grinded-out game. They're good on the glass, good defensive team, and maybe it is a little bit lower scoring. And when you look at what okay, KU just gave up to West Virginia, I could see there being a very concerted effort on the defensive end of the court tonight. Yeah, it,
1: well, hopefully, yeah. I mean, you will see that, right? With I mean, look at what Kansas has done with with turnovers. They had a couple of games with bad turnover numbers, and since then, they've, you know, even though publicly Bill Self said, "Well, we didn't work on them that much." Can- Still. give me a break, bro. I mean, <laughs> what, what what do you mean? What do you mean you didn't work on them that much? You went from eighteen and eighteen to like five and two and seven. And you need to work oh, oh we didn't work on them that much. Okay.
0: What is your favorite prop for the game?
1: Man, uh so I didn't go with I didn't go with Kevin McCullough and I should have for the West Virginia game, I believe. Mm. Uh let's see. Dickinson sitting at eighteen and a half. So is McCullough. Again a eighteen and a half. KJ thirteen and a half seems that seems too high for me. Uh, what if I go with Kevin McCuller over one and a half threes? Okay. I, think I'm I'll feeling like that that. I don't know that he's going to get to 19 points. I don't know. The fact that they're both the same number, like that's kind of scary. You know what I mean?
0: So even though they both were have technically hit, I
1: guess, in the West Virginia game.
0: Over one-and-a-half threes. All right, Kevin McCuller over one-and-a-half threes. I like that one because of the fact that Cincinnati gives up above-the-break threes and he's taking the most on the team per game. Yeah, I'll go with Hunter Dickinson over .5 threes. Same idea. Same Hunter reason. Dickinson gets a bunch of those threes above the break. Uh, more of a pick-and-pop game, especially when you look at Cincinnati's ability to block shots at the rim. I think he'll get off two or three in this game, and as long as he makes one, you're good to go. It's over .5. That's our KU game picks and Rock Chalk Pickahawk. Let's get some KU basketball audio from Bill Self. Nick Timberlake, Kevin McCuller, and some KU women's basketball audio with Brandon Schneider and Zakiah Franklin coming up on the other side. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST Podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about you can reach out to us on our twitter page at rcst 1320 you can also email us if you don't have twitter rcst 1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst 1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live 3 to 6 p.m central time monday through friday on klwn KLWN klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of day and see you next podcast